heart and soul. I love heart and soul. Good morning. I'm Gwen Foster. I'm been a I'm a founding member of Heart and Soul. I love it here. I love my family here, and I love the sense of community and support that I've gotten. Thank you. Hi, my name is Adrian. I have been at Heart and Soul for eight years. I love Heart and Soul because it has shown me that it is absolutely positively possible to create a world that truly works for everyone. Hi, my name is Tammy Rogers. I've been a proud member of Heart and Soul since 2018. And what I love about Heart and Soul is that it feeds my spirit and helps me grow spiritually. Hi. I'm Reverend Sonia, and I am a founding member of Heart and Soul Center of Light. And one of the things that I love about Heart and Soul is the permission it gives us to be our most authentic and best selves so that we can live our most authentic and best lives. I love those, and so I'm going to get in on it. Good morning. My name is Reverend Andriette, <laughs> and I'm the senior and founding minister. And what I love about Heart and Soul is that we are willing to share this adventure in faith, that we realize that life is forever and ever unfolding in miraculous and challenging ways, and we're willing to be in this life, in this love together. That's what I love about us. Well, that begins the list. Who knows? I may just do a little bit of that every Sunday. Yeah. I love that we have had members and friends do that greeting, share with us what it is for them. And I encourage you to share with us, whether you do it on social media, whether you send us a video, however you do it, to share with us what is it about heart and soul that lights your life, that opens your heart, that has shifted your sense of the world and your place in it. We want to know. Inquiring minds need to know what it is about us for you. Please do that. So good morning. And we are indeed, you know, on an adventure in faith. We, we, claimed that some years ago as our annual theme. And then we kind of realized that it was ongoing, like the adventure had not ceased and we could move on to another theme, like we're over the adventure and now we're into something else. And so we continued that and we simply added to it our focus for the year. So for 2022, we have been aware that we are consciously and intentionally aware that we are moving forward together. You remember that in January, we were, as, as we started this year, we were just on our way back. We were just beginning to, to claim we could be together. And we decided that we would affirm that we were moving forward together. We weren't just running back into the world. We're moving forward together. And now we're putting that energy into our 13th anniversary. And we're going to melt this. We're going to work this because we haven't been together much. And this gives us an opportunity to not just 
receive whatever gifts there are, and we're always open, and y'all are generous contributors, so we're grateful for that. But we're also going to be encouraging you, us, to give and expand our circle into the community so that we can really see our fingerprints in transforming the situations and circumstances that, all, that break our hearts. So, one of the very first things that we did is we gathered together to, can I just greet you properly by saying, <laughs> can I just, y'all you, you, know how to, yeah, can I just be present? So, on Friday, we about, just a hundred of us, frankly, met at the New Parkway Cinema to see Wakanda forever. And so our minds, the top of our heads have been blown off. We are working to put ourselves back together, which will include, no doubt, a second viewing. Who knows how many viewings are required. What I'm wanting are some folks to step forward who will help host. I'm not asking you to lead it in any way because I feel like it's going to be essential that we have some discussion groups that we be in dialogue because not only Black Panther from, what was that, 1918, bless my heart, 2018, from, it wasn't in the 1900s, it was 2018, to, to bring that forward because there was so much to unpack there as well. But Wakanda forever? I mean, we may as well just start in the middle and work our way out because it's a lot to do. So we were together doing that, and I'm so grateful because we are truly in this love together. I want you to know that I am very specifically wearing African lace together because, to, today because the 13th anniversary gift in the world is lace. That's what symbolizes it. And, and the idea here is that the intricacies of lace So the intricacies of lace are symbolic of what's required of us to bring ourselves together. That it's really us weaving our personalities and our, our beliefs and our knowings and our love in a way that we're not just connected, but we are, we are honoring this intricate weaving that is a part of this. Yes, can y'all get that? Because what we are doing at Heart and Soul is we are weaving our visions. We're we interweaving our intentions. We're interweaving our love and deep caring. Yes? Yes. So part of the way that that's going to show up is for the next 13 months, we're committed to a food drive. And this is the beginning. Stay tuned because there's some other activities. And we are drafting you. We are encouraging you. We are imploring you to give, to be a part of this. So there's a food drive. We have the um, barrels right out front. And once those are filled, we'll have them pick those up and bring some more. What I love, that's like old school food drive. And nothing wrong with an old school food drive, for real. Everybody knows what to do. Go get the cans and the, and the, um, the things that will last sitting in a barrel. Yes, we know to do that. But now there's the new school food drive as well. It's virtual. So you, we'll give you the link. You'll go online and you'll shop or you'll just say, you know what, here's $20. Get what, whatever $20 will get. 
or you may be committed that the children need to do it, and you'll buy that. But here's what I'm going to say to you. Do something. 2022, as we move into 2023, we are not going to sit by and complain. We're not going to give a list of, come on, because we, we spent the summer with four pivots. So we are not going to be the problem lovers. We're not going to be the problem lovers. We're not going to be stuck on the problem. None of us are going to become experts around the food shortage. We just not. Instead, we are going to find whatever little bit of food there is, and we're going to multiply it like fish and loaves. Yes, that's our challenge. So we are moving forward together in feeding the planet beginning locally, right where we are. Yes? Are y'all in with me? All right. Y'all at home, put something in the chat. Don't just act like you. Come on now. All right. So look, we have, I am so grateful today to, to be a congregant. And what is happening is my beloved brother, Dr. Will Coleman, is going to start us off. He is, as you know, or as many of you know, he is uh, an accomplished theologian. He is a babalao. He is um, a master practitioner of African and Amer um, a practitioner of history of the African and American spirituality. Um, he's a longtime friend of Heart and Soul Center of Light, and he is my beloved brother. And so now I give you Dr. Will Coleman. Congratulations, Heart and Soul Center of Light. You're entering your 13th year. I want to talk about the number 13. Often it is associated with bad luck, but there are other esoteric significances for 13. I'd like to give you two examples. We all know that Yeshua had 12 identified disciples, but he had other followers in addition to those 12. And then I consider one of them, the 13th one, she is often designated as among, if not, the most significant one. Her name is Mary Magdalene. That's right. The one that we are told that Yeshua cast seven demons out of. Whatever her background is, we do know that she, among other women, became the most significant disciple of his who was also with him at every significant point, especially during his trial, his death, his resurrection. And in fact, she was the first disciple to spread the good news of his resurrection. So this woman, the 13th disciple, represented transformation, diligence, persistence, steadfastness, and was one who announced 
the good news of resurrection and or new life in the case of Yeshua. Let's think about that. This formerly unknown person who became through her diligence among the most significant followers of Yeshua. What it took and what it takes to persevere, to transform and to renew. What a model she represents and also what extraordinary power she represents as a woman. The second example of the significance of the number 13 comes from the esoteric understanding of the Tarot symbolism. There's a card among the 22 major arcana that is called the death card. And from an outward esoteric understanding, it could be a somber, sad card or simple. But that's not what it is. In the death card, actually, is the key to renewal and transformation as well. You take a look at it and you'll see a skeletal figure riding a horse. And for this figure and a horse, you'll see three individuals who seem to be begging and pleading for their lives. That does represent the transformation of the old of a bygone age, but it also represents the coming of that which is new, the renewal even of that which is going into the ground in this case. And if you pay very close attention, you'll also see that the sun is actually rising in the east where the skeletal figure is headed. It's not setting. So the symbolism is of course paradoxical because it seems as though this is the end. But in actuality, this is a new beginning. And so it is for heart and soul center of light. The passage of that which is complete and on the horizon that which is new. Now, inside of this number 13, there are two other clues as well, one and three. And here again, in the mysticism of the symbolism, the one represents the magician, who, as you can see, is channeling the powers from above to below. Maybe this is where the expression and part comes from, as above, so below. And on the table in front of the magician, are the elements representing fire, water, air, earth that he will rearrange through his focused attention. All the resources are there and now he becomes the one who transmutes those resources into their usefulness. And also he represents the quintessential element of spirit, of mind and of consciousness. That's the one. This one, is complemented by the three. And the three, as you can see, is the Empress. And the Empress represents the power of imagination. 
She represents the power of new birth. She represents the power of fecundity. She represents the power of infinite possibilities. So focused attention and imagination are also two very important attributes from a numerological point of view of the number 13 altogether. Renewal through transformation of what has been well done. Focused attention and imagination years new possibilities now and well into the future. So there you have it, the combination of Mary Magdalene, that truly beloved disciple of Yeshua, through her perseverance, her persistence, her determination to share the new word of the resurrection and the death card along with his companions, the magician and the empress. And this is my blessing for you. Perseverance for what you have done and what you're going to do. Focus attention and imagination as you together with Reverend Dr. Andrea Earl my beloved sister, continue to move forward and truly shed the light that you are, showing us how to be the light that we too are. Amen. Ashe and Aibobo. And so it is. Hi, my name is Winter. I've been in Soul for five years. I love Heart and Soul because Heart and Soul loves me, and I love how all the people there are nice and kind. Hi, I'm Brannis McKenzie. I'm a founding member of Heart and Soul, and one of the things I love about this church is that we're doing some really great and deep and amazing work for each one of us. I love Heart and Soul. Hi, my name is Gay Walton Price, and I've been coming here for probably four, more than four years. I love this church because it is so inspiring all the time. And if I can't make it in person, I tune in online. Hi, my name is Valerie Joy Fidmont, and I've been at Heart and Soul for about eight years, maybe longer, not quite sure. But this is the thing I know. I keep growing at heart and soul. I keep growing spiritually. I keep growing emotionally. I keep growing mentally. And I'm grateful. So I'm not going to leave. That's where I am. Thank you. Good day. My name is Ambessa Cantave and I've been coming to Heart and Soul for 13 years. And why I continuously come is because I'm constantly reminded to be the present, to be the change, to be all that that I want to transform to. The time is always now and the place is Heart and Soul. Thank you. So I'm Reverend Andriette. 
I'm the senior and founding minister. And what I love about Heart and Soul is our commitment to a diversity of voices, a diversity of ideas, the inclusion of multiple voices and theories and whatever is required to expand our thinking and open our hearts. And today is especially one of those days. So first of all, I give thanks for my brother, Dr. Will Coleman. Yeah. For his scholarship, for his, his ability to just bring it all in and enlighten us along the way. So right now, I have yet, I'm surrounded by brothers this morning. So uh, Dr. Will started us off and uh, Dr. Sean's going to take us home with it. And so what I want you to know is that Dr. Sean Jinwright, PhD, is one of the nation's leading innovators, provocateurs, and thought leaders on um, African-American youth, youth activism and youth development. That is how I first came to know you, Sean was your work with youth, which is amazing and legendary at this point. Planted very deep roots in the local community in Oakland, and it has expanded from there. He, though now, is the CEO of Flourish Agenda, a national nonprofit consulting firm whose mission is to design strategies that unlock the power of healing and engage youth of color and adult allies in transforming schools and communities. We know him especially recently because he is the beloved author of The Four Pivots. And we spent the summer just getting into it and teasing out how we could apply it in our lives. So our community read and worked with his book and we continue to draw from it because we are using it in our leadership circle and we are, I use it on Sundays as well and it is supporting us in actualizing the Centers for Spiritual Living vision of realizing a world that works for all. Many of us had wondered how we gonna get there because we all believe it. There's not a one who reads that and, and says, I don't want no part of that. Everybody wants a piece of that. And the question has been, so how do we do it? And the four pivots has begun to allow us to see more clearly how we could move in the direction of accomplishing that. So I want you to, oh, here's a, a quick quote one that I love from, there's so many. My book is just all lined up and, and um, paper clipped and tabbed and all the things. But he says specifically, a pivot leans into the future and opens entirely new possibilities. He says a pivot involves renewing our sense of possibility transforming, I'm so, sorry, our sense of possibility, transforming how we see the world and shifting the values of our culture. That's our work. This can only happen when we foster a collective imagination. Remember Dr. Will just told us about focus and imagination that restores the communal wisdom that embraces both imagination and engagement, empathy, 
and power, reflection and action. He says a pivot means that we need to dream higher about the future we want to create. <laughs> we are at the nexus of using our imagination to create and dr to dream higher about the future we want to create. Those food bins are a part of that. Everything we do is a part of that. So, the next voice you hear from here will be Dr. Sean. But first, we have a few more testimonies, and then there's a song to set the tone for his message. Dr. Sean, we welcome you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Joyelle Johnson, and I'm also a member of Heart and Soul too. And I was here from our last home to this home. And I love Heart and Soul because it's special. Hi, my name is Nakia, and I've been a part of Heart and Soul for about nine years now. And one thing that I love about Heart and Soul is that it feels like home for me. I love Heart and Soul. <laughs> Hi, my name is Thomas Ng. I've been a member of Heart and Soul for four years. And what I love most about Heart and Soul is the community. It has the most loving people I've known. And um, this is why I love being here. Greetings, Heart and Soul Center of Light family. My name is LaShawn Rute Chapman. I have been a member at Heart and Soul for nearly 10 years. And one thing that I love about Heart and Soul Center of Light is it is a love-filled, practice-based community that teaches us how to walk in purpose and on purpose for our best and highest good. Hi, my name is Deb Kersey. I'm a licensed practitioner here at Heart and Soul. I've been here since day one, so 13 years. And what I love about Heart and Soul is the people. I love the family that we have created and the camaraderie and the community. Hey, Ashe. Reverend Andriette and Heart and Soul community. Um, I just wanna say how much an honor it is and how humbled I am to have an opportunity to, to, to share this space with you. Uh, Reverend Andriette knows that I was going back and forth. I, I speak all over the world, all over the country. And when I got this invitation, I got nervous. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. But in the back of my mind, I was, I was nervous. And so as the date got closer, I got more nervous, and I called Andrea and said, well, you know, I, I can't make it. And then, uh, you know, God sends you an angel, and my, my angel oftentimes comes in the form of my wife and spouse. I, I was driving back from the lake, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, you know, I was supposed to go and speak, and you know, baby, I just got nervous. And she said, you told Reverend Andrea she was going to do something, and you, and you went back on your word? And she said, you better text her right now and tell her you'll be there. So, <laughs> um, yes, 
so um, I, I, again, I'm just so humbled and honored to be able to share these ideas with you and, and just, just be in space with you. Um, last night, uh, I was uh, talking to my mama. Usually on Saturday nights, I call my mama just to check in. She's in Southern California. And we talk for about 30, 40 minutes. And then every time we get to the end of the, our conversation, she says, baby, you going to church tomorrow? And I usually go, well, mom, you know, I got work. I got this to do. And then I remembered. I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be at church tomorrow, mama. In fact, I'm speaking. And she said, Lord, have mercy, Jesus. Send me the link, the recording, and so mama, see, I'm, I'm here. She, she's watching somewhere. Probably all my cousins is watching too. Um, so, so again, it's just, it's just great to be here. Um, I want to talk today about who do we have to be to birth the world that we imagine? Who do we need to become to birth the world that we dream about? We know that, you know, this amazing anniversary of 13 years, right? 13 years, um, as we just heard, is uh, an important number. One, for focused attention, and three, for imagination. Who do we have to become to birth the world that we imagine. I want to start with a, a story. Uh, again, this is a, a story about my mama. <laughs> and about 10 years ago, in, uh, my, mom had, my mom grew up in a small town called Trenton, Florida. It's outside of Gainesville. And she always talks about her childhood. When I was a child, I grew up outside of L.A., and my mama would always tell us about her summers and how magical these summers were in this beautiful little house in Trenton, Florida, where they would go and climb mango trees, and they would catch June bugs. And, and she would tell me that there was these magical little bugs that, as the sun set in the evening, you could, they would glow, and they would hoover over the water. And as a child, I just was so fascinated about mango trees and these glowing bugs. And so as a child, she would tell these magical stories to me and my brothers uh, all the time. And about 10 years ago, um, my mother invited me uh, to come to a, a, a funeral, actually, in Trenton, Florida, of, of one of my cousins. And um, I, I couldn't make it. And I was like, Mom, I can't, I can't go to the, you know, I'm, I, I'll send flowers, but I got papers to grade. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about, work to do. And so, you know how mamas do. She guilted me, and she said, well, you know if you don't go, you know, something. And so I decided to, I decided to go to, to the funeral in Trenton, Florida. And I said, Mama, but if I go, can you promise to tell me and show me that, that house, that beautiful little house that you always grew up in? And she said, sure, I will. I'll be happy to do that. And so we, we went to Florida, and, and uh, we, she, she was so proud of me. You know how mama said, oh, this is my son, the doctor. And so we went to all my cousin's house, and we sat on the couch with the plastic covers <laughs> and drank lemonade. And, you know, we went from house to house. And, and, and as the, the day got longer, 
I was like, you know, getting tired. I'm like, Mom, can you show me that house, that, that little beautiful house that you, that you grew up in? And she says, okay, baby, let's, let's, go, let's go see the house. And so we walked down the street and took a left down a little dirt road. And I don't know if you've ever been to the south before, but the trees are so magnificent, and they, they hang with moss. And it was just an enchanting walk with my mama and as the sun was setting, we just walked in silence down the road. Sure enough, I looked over to the left side of the road, and there was this creek. And as I looked closer, I saw these little glowing lightning bugs hoovering away uh, above the water. And I got so excited. We're getting, we're getting close to this magical little house. And, and so she kept walking, and finally she stopped, and she said, we're here. And she turned and smiled. And when I turned, I almost, I almost cried. We were in front of the house, and when I, what I saw was actually not a house. It was a, it was a shack. It was a one room. It didn't even have a room. It was just a shack, and the, the wood had rotted, and the weeds were growing up through the floor, and the porch was tattered. And I became really, really emotional because it was the first time I had realized how poor my mama was, how she grew up. But my mama saw something entirely different, y'all. She started smiling like a child and took my hand and walked me into this little one-room house. And she said, this is, uh, this is where I used to keep the, this is where we used to keep the number 10 tub. And I was like, what's a number 10 tub? Like, y'all probably don't know what a number 10 tub is. Some of y'all do, but I didn't. This is where we used to, the number 10 tub is a tub where they used to take a bath because there wasn't no running water. And she could still see the, the circle on the wood floor. And she said, this is where we used to keep the, the pot stove oven, right, to stay warm. And this is where we used to cook. And she was just so excited, y'all. And she stopped and looked at me, and I was, I was kind of tearing up. She said, boy, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I said, Mom, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just didn't, I didn't know you grew up so poor. I didn't know that. I didn't know you grew up in such poverty, Mama. And she said something to me in that moment that I'd never forget. She said, boy, don't you know that when I was a child, I dreamed of you before you even existed. And I dreamed that one day you would come back here to see the dreams of my birthplace. And that I dreamed of you. I dreamed that you would go off to college, and I dreamed that you would raise a family, and I dreamed that you would come back to this house to see the birthplace of my dreams. And so don't be sad. Don't, don't cry, because this is a joyous moment for me to realize my own dreams. And in that moment, I realized something about my mom, that even though she understood poverty, she understood oppression. She was not defined by it. That she was able to see beyond her present conditions. What, who do we have to become to birth the world that we imagine? It was in that moment that I began to be, believe that the conditions that we face as black folks, the conditions of our history, the conditions that we face in our communities, that we need to take a lesson from my mama, <laughs> that we need to understand these conditions but not be defined by them. 
and that in our ability to cultivate a radical imagination about the world that we imagine, that every time we do that, it becomes more and more closer of our reality. When I um, sat down to write the book, The Four Pivots, I wasn't going to write a book like this. This was going to be a kind of an academic book. And I was at the, my kitchen table with my, with my wife and friends and, you know, drinking some wine, and I was telling them about the book. And they said, no, nah, you don't write, don't write a book like that. Write a book from your heart. And I go, well, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an academic, and I, I'm, I'm used to theory and all this stuff. And then they just began to talk about the things that matter most in my life, my children challenges I had raising a, a tall six-foot-two son in Oakland, in Oakland and fear of the police, uh, the, the challenges of, 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 um, of uh, building an organization, just all the challenges and speaking from the heart. And so they put that challenge out there to me, that the truth is not in the theory, the truth is not in the only in the knowledge base, but it is in our experiences. And I think most of it came from just, where are the biggest mistakes that I made? And how do I learn from those mistakes so that others don't have to make them? And if we are to really, if we are to really imagine the world that we want to create, who do we have to become in order to do that? And so these pivots really come from a place of lessons where I have made mistakes and wish I had some these pivots so that I could actually use them in times that were really difficult in my life. Times where when I was working on my doctorate degree, trying to raise money for an organization and had a, a six-month-old son and believing that as uh, listening to the voice of my father, you got to keep going. You got to keep going and waking up at night with a nervous breakdown, right? Wishing I had the space for that reflection. And so uh, these pivots uh, are really a guidebook, right? They're, they provide us with uh, some direction and some permission to actually transform who we are so that we can actually create the world that we want to be, that we want to live in. And I know that you've already studied these four pivots, so I'm not going to go in detail at each, but I'm going to talk a little bit about each one as it relates to me. The first, we know, is the pivot from lens to mirror. And someone who was trained as an academic, I was trained largely to see the problems in our communities, particularly with young people. I created an organization called Leadership Excellence and now Flourish Agenda and Camp Achille. And my vision or my role is to, was to, I was trained to see all the problems. But there was something that happened whenever we created a community of loving black youth here in Oakland. I didn't just see the problems. I saw young, young men and young women have imaginations. I saw something different than the theories that they said I should see. I saw them are full of joy. I'm telling y'all, when we went to, when we did camp, uh, every year, it was like a sanctuary for these young people. It was like if you create, you know, that, that movie, Field of Dreams, if you create it, they will come. We didn't know if, we didn't know what we was doing. 
But we knew every year we would bring these 50 young people up into the mountains, and they would come, y'all, with all of the trauma and scars they had experienced in their families, juvenile hall and on the streets. But when they came to camp, something else happened, right? They shed all of that, and they became joyous. They they built relationships with one another. They cultivated a community with one another, and they began to see the world that they wanted to live in. And so this first pivot around lens to mirror is really just focusing and getting us to practice the the hard work of deep self-reflection and how easy it is to have the lens work, right? It's so easy to have the lens work, which is the outward analysis of the world. But mirror work is really hard. And most of us, you can go to the next slide, most of us, um, most of us are, are like this, right? When we talk about mirror work, how am I supposed to lose weight if everything tastes good? <laughs> like, like we, we have no sense of, like, like, that's more like lens work, right? We, we, we blame everything. We have no sort of agency over our own, our own reflection. But mirror work, indicts us. Mirror work requires us to actually ask the difficult questions about who we are and who we need to become. One of the things that, that um, more just recently happened to me around mirror work in my own organization, uh, we were going through a lot of changes and challenges and growing, right, growing really rapidly. And the, some of the folks were saying, you know, hey, Sean, you being top down, you calling the shots, you're not letting us know. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm the I'm founded this. I don't need to, right? I don't need to let y'all know. I'm going to just hire folks. And people were getting ready to leave. People were like, oh, okay. Well, we thought this was a healing-centered organization. I'm like, well, it is healing-centered. I'm just calling all the shots. <laughs> but then you got to practice what you preach. <laughs> and mirror work is hard, y'all. It's the hardest work. And I had to... You know, when you look into a mirror, like when you physically look into a mirror, it don't lie. It shows you your blemishes. <laughs> it shows you, the, you know, all of the truth that's in front of you. And so when I had to practice the mirror work, I had to ask some questions about myself. I had to ask questions about what is really going on. Why are you showing up in this way that people see you as, you know, dominance or what's really going on? And after asking myself that question, I realized that, but deep inside, what mere work revealed in me is fear. I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of, of, of not being able to pay folks. I have a fear of being wrong. I just have a fear. And so mere work reveals something that I wasn't even aware of. And so what we are able to do is then just be honest with folks. Mere work showed me and revealed in me that if that my fear actually made me show up in this way. The second pivot is a pivot in our relationships, right? That we, we sometimes have these transactional relationships that, that are just a, about the functions of our titles. But we know that, that the pivot from transactional relationship to transformative relationships means that we have to cultivate the, the space and cultivate the ability for our humanity to spill out on each other. 
Let me tell y'all a little story, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm gonna stay within the time frame, but I'm gonna tell you this little story. Um, so, my father passed away of COVID in uh, December fifth, uh, twenty twenty. And one of the things, one of the most challenging things about that period of time is that I don't, y'all remember, you couldn't go to the hospital. You couldn't go to the hospital. And as my father was struggling, um, I couldn't even fly down there to go see him. And if I get emotional, y'all, it's all good. I feel like I'm, I'm at home. But I couldn't, I couldn't even fly down there, and I couldn't even go see my daddy as he was, you know, struggling to survive. And so all I had, all I could do was call the hospital. Now, the protocol on that hospital was give the, the patient's family the vital statistics, what's going on, what's happening, you know, and it was, it was enough, but I wanted to talk to my daddy. Y'all feel me? So I would call, and they would give me the statistics, and I would, you know, kind of hear, hear what's going on. I would call, and they would give me the statistics. And this one time, um, this nurse, when I called her, I said, how's my daddy, how's William Jenright doing? And she said, he's struggling. And um, she gave me the statistics, and then she said, you want to talk to him? And I said, yes, I want to talk to him. She said, well, I'm not supposed to let you talk to him because our policies, just transactional, transactional relationship, our policies won't allow this. But check this, check this out. You won't get a call from me in five minutes from, a, from this phone number. Pick it up. And... She called me from her cell phone and put my daddy on the phone. It's the last time I talked to him. So sometimes, <clears throat> so sometimes transformative relationships matter, right? And this world that we live in sometimes di dictates, it defines that we relate to one another transactionally, just give the information. But we don't know that sometimes, even if we just have a little space for a transactional relationship, a transformative relationship, what that can do to somebody. It changed my life. That five-minute phone call. And so as we think about spaces of transformative relationships, where are the spaces in your lives where that, what is the relationship that you need to heal? Who are you at odds with right now that if they weren't here tomorrow, you would feel guilty because you didn't say goodbye? We all have the capacity to cultivate these transformative relationships, and they matter in our lives. Who do we have to become to create the world that we imagine? And I believe it is this second pivot, this transformative relationships that, that is so absent in what we do that when we do it and when we walk into that power that we can actually change the lives of so many other people. I, I say to my friends and, and, and the work that I do that my job is to be courageously obedient. <laughs> Just be courageously obedient, right? I don't have to 
Uh, I don't have to know the answers to everything, but just walk in faith with courage that all of it will be met. And it is in these transformative relationships that matter most in my life, right? Third pivot, a pivot from problem to possibility. Y'all hear me? Y'all know what I'm, I'm fixing to go with this. God does not respond to the least of what we imagine, but the most of what we imagine. The universe responds to what we dream about, not survive about. Right? Our, if I, our jobs as human beings, right? Our jobs as human beings, we are built to create. And God does not respond to the least of what we can dream about. It is the most. But the thing about it is oppression, the, the greatest consequence of oppression is that it has diminished and eroded our capacity to dream beyond it. And so most of what we do is we believe that our job is just to ease misery, right, or to reduce suffering. And while that's important, it is not the entire equation. Our job is to imagine that which does not exist, right? If I told you, let me just, 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 just give me a second here. So, <laughs> so here's a, little, just a little, little quick activity. If you think, just for a moment, if I say, don't think of a red balloon. Right? We don't think our brains don't work in the absence of stuff. They work for the presence of stuff. Right? And so in this pivot from problem to possibility, our jobs is to lean into and saturate ourselves and our communities about what is possible, not what is probable. What is possible, what is not, not what is probable. And we have, the, we have that work to do. We have, that's not just about, you know, um, just wishful thinking or positive affirmations, right? This pivot from problem to possibility means that we have to take seriously our dreams. As Robin Kelly r reminds us that radical imaginations, radical imaginations transform the world. Our ancestors, my ancestors as Africans, as my, my, my wife says, um, if Africans that were enslaved didn't dream of freedom, they would have wanted an easier form of slavery. But it wasn't, it was a dream of freedom that was something that was not possible at the time, but it was still the dream that drove Harriet Tubman, right? And so we have to take that lesson and think about how, how we as a community and as individuals, what do we dream about, right? I dream that every single African-American young person and young person of color in this country can go to school with a smile on their face, with a joyous community willing to and ready to embrace them, right? I, I, my dream is that every young person can come up like I did when you was able to play uh, football in the streets and you have to come in when the street lights come on because it was safe enough, right? I dream 
that we have safe communities again, not just, you know, reduced violence, but abundance of peace in our neighborhoods, right? And so we have to take seriously our capacity to dream, right? The last pivot is this pivot from hustle to flow. And we know what hustle is, and we know what that feels like. And I had to learn this pivot the hard way, y'all. I'm, I'm going to tell you the story. I don't think this story is in the book, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and it's, it's a true story. So I was, um, uh, my calendar usually looks like, as Deb knows, is I'm on the plane at least two or three times a month, and it's a pretty well-oiled machine. I wake up at 4.30, I'm in the shower at 5, I'm eating at 6, so I can catch an 8 o'clock flight somewhere. And this particular morning, and I'm used to hustle. I'm used to always being in this hustle frenzy flow. Do this, do that. And this particular morning, my wife was gone. Uh, my kids are already out of the house. It was just me and the dog that was in the house. And so I was, you know, cleaning up. I woke up, was in the shower, and the dog was looking at me in the shower saying, I need to go out. Let me out. So um, I was like, man, okay, so let me go ahead and let the dog out. So I got out of the shower. Now, this is a little graphic, y'all, but I have a little step down from my bathroom to the living room, I mean to my bedroom. I was getting ready to let the dog out, and I, I was walking, and then I slipped on, this, on the step. And I went up, and I fell. Boom! My ribs hit the side of the stairs. And my first thought was, get up. You got a fight to catch. And as I looked up, it was just the dog was looking at me. And y'all and, and y'all know Lassie? My dog ain't Lassie. Noche ain't Lassie, right? And I was like, I can't move. The dog was like, I still got, you got to let me out. This is at 5.15 in the morning. And my first thought was, I got to catch this flight. And so as I tried to get up, my body said, you ain't going nowhere. Not today, brother. So I had a problem. I could not move. I, could, I literally was broke my ribs and I had, you know. So I, I literally crawled to the side of my bed, picked up the phone. First person I called. I didn't even call 911. I called my wife. The first thing she said, what's wrong? <laughs> she, she called. She, she said, what's wrong? I'm like, I can't move. I broke my ribs. Something bad. I can't move. So anyway, uh, the ambulance came. And, you know, took me to the hospital. They did this CAT scan and all that, x-rays. And they said, oh, man, you didn't just break three ribs. You also fractured your vertebrae. Yeah, it was painful. You get, gotta, you. So you ain't going nowhere for a long time. Now, this was, this was uh, March 13th. March, oh, March 12th. <laughs> March, March 12th. Uh, what, 2019? Oh, 2020. Yeah, 2020. And on March 13th, everybody joined me. Staying home. Wasn't nobody going nowhere. And so I, I had to stop and sit down because physically, right, physically I couldn't move. But the whole world actually joined me. And what I did with that time, I would not have been able to do had I not had that injury. I read books. 
I watched TV, I rested, I slept, I took naps, and I recovered my body. And the thing about the body is miraculous, y'all. We could do all kind of bad things to this body, but God will bring it back if you just rest, right? This, this pivot from hustle to flow, sometimes we are just not, we're just, you know, cap, what capitalism says is that, a, that we need to um, honor, we need to uh, value a human being for what a human being can produce or earn. And as a result of that, we've digested this notion of, of that in our own diet, so much so that we have an addiction to frenzy, which means that we believe that our busyness actually makes us matter, that I matter more when I'm busy. I feel more gratified when I'm busy. How many of us have a to-do list? Raise your hand. I got a to-do list. When you, when you create, when you accomplish something on your to-do list, what do you do? You scratch it off, and you add three more things back on it. And there's this ongoingness of our lives that erodes our capacity for deep change. We cannot have transformation in this addiction to frenzy. What, the, what this pivot re- requires is basically saying, one, we have to recognize when we're in frenzy. We have to actually recognize that, that when, we, when we call ourselves busy, that's actually being in frenzy. The second thing is that we have to actually create micro doses of our flow. Where in our week, where in our day can we actually slow down? We could take a walk. We could do something that brings us peace of mind. And in this culture, oftentimes, that is not something that, that is supported. But there are many cultures in our society that have siestas, right? They do things because it allows us to slow down. And so this last pivot from hustle to flow simply suggests that deep change and deep transformation requires us to slow down. And it requires us to actually take the time and the space to do the deeper reflection. Rev mentioned that the 13 is also about weaving together. And these pivots don't work. You can't pick and choose just one, right? You can't do deep mirror work if you're in frenzy. You have to be in flow. You, it's hard to be in flow if you don't have the transformative relationships. It, it, it's, it's hard to cultivate the relationships and repair the relationships if you're always in problem-solving mode. These pivots are woven together like a braid. And they support each other. And that the more that we practice these pivots, the more that we integrate them into our lives, the more that we are conscious and aware of our ability to actually gain power in these pivots, each and every day that we practice them, we actually begin to create the world that we imagine. And I hope that this, the the book, and I hope that the study has in some way has given you the fuel and has given you the permission to actually walk into the four pivots in ways that will transform our lives, transform our communities, and transform our world. And thank you so much, Light and Soul. Thank y'all. Yo, how you doing? My name is Corey. I've been with Heart and Soul for about seven years, and I love Heart and Soul because of the love I receive at Heart and Soul. Yay. (laughs) Love y'all.
Hi, my name is Jamar. My name is Yasmin. And I've been at Heart and Soul for about four and a half years. And one thing I like about Heart and Soul is that they welcome you as family all the time. Blessings, Heart and Soul family. My name is Nadia Abdullah-Taylor and I, as well as, am a founding member of Heart and Soul. I continue to come back, continue to come back because of our beloved teacher and minister that continues to expand our mind and consciousness to be it, renewing our spirits. Hi, I'm Scott Staub. I've been a member of Heart and Soul for five years. One of the things I love about Heart and Soul is it's just been the opportunity for expanded growth. And that's why I'm a practitioner in training. I'm Damali Robertson, and I am a member of Heart and Soul. I've been on Heart and Soul since about 2013, and I love the community. I love the feel of connection that I get at Heart and Soul. So thank you, Heart and Soul. Good morning, family. We've been blessed today, yes? So let us move into prayer and give that gratitude. Just breathing in that wonderful, wonderful thing that we call air that is from spirit itself, the infinite source, that which is love, that which is beauty. We recognize it and just knowing all that has transformed, all that has happened has transformed us today. For we are in the spirit of God itself. Praise, praise, praise. And so it's from this space that we so give thanks. How wonderful it is to have received the music team and its music. Thank you. How wonderful it is to have received Dr. Will's message. How wonderful it is to have received Dr. Sean's message. And so we so give thanks for each and every person that made this time possible. And to our beloved Reverend Dr. Andriette, we are truly, truly grateful. So it is from here that we know that we leave this place more fulfilled than when we came. We leave this place more empowered than when we came. We leave this place feeling and sensing the love of the divine from more than when we came. We go out now from here to empower the rest of the world from which we're, we're, what we have received. We are grateful, grateful, grateful. So for the infinite that flows through us here and now and forever, we simply say, all praises, glory, and honor be unto God. And together we affirm, and so it is. Amen. Ashe.